0: Back in 1803, the French were in need of some cash inflow. Napoleon was leading the troops in his military exploits against Great Britain and other nations, and they were in need of cash immediately. So that was the time in 1803 when our president, Thomas Jefferson, offered to buy some of the French land in North America. He signed a treaty with France, April 30th, 1803, and purchased what we now call the Louisiana Purchase. It was 800,000 square miles of land from the Mississippi River all the way to the Rocky Mountains for 60 million francs. That, I guess, at that time was about 15 million. But we only paid 11 million in cash because uh, the French owed us some money and we merely forgave that debt. Bad things happen when you are in debt. And we got all that land for a measly $11 million, the Louisiana Purchase. What a steal. The U.S. got the better end of that deal. And that's just one of many lopsided trades in history. One of my favorites is this one. Advance 100 years from the early 1800s to the early 1900s to Boston. There's a young pitcher who's now pitching for the Red Sox in 1914. He wins 20 games in the first few years that he's pitching. He pitched over 29 scoreless innings in the World Series and led Boston to the World Series in 1915, 1916, and 1918. But he was such a great hitter that they put him out in the outfield. And in 1919, he led the Majors in home runs. But Harry Frizee, the owner of the Red Sox, was in debt. When you are in bad debt, you do dumb things. And he sold this young pitcher-turned-hitter to the New York Yankees for $100,000 and also a loan for $300,000. Oh, by the way, this pitcher-turned-hitter is Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth led New York to the World Series in 23, 27, 28, 32, and he hit a record 60 home runs in 1927, and Boston went into what they called the Curse of the Bambino, decade after decade of losing, coming close and losing, until finally in 19, or in 2004, they won the World Series. New York got the better end of that deal. Another lopsided trade. The worst, the most evident lopsided trade in all history was on Good Friday at the cross when we traded our sin for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Bad debt makes us do dumb things. Uh, We are sinners and we're indebted to the holy standard. The holy standard of God shows us how far in debt we really are. We try to work away our debt. We we try to imagine it doesn't exist. And yet on the cross, the Bible tells us that God took care of it. I have a verse on the screen which is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. It's from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. And it says, New Living Translation, For God made Christ, who never sinned, To be the offering for our sin. So that we could be made right with God through Christ. The city of Corinth was a rather sinful place. It was filled with all kinds of, of activity that clearly was against the law of God. And yet to these people the message of reconciliation was proclaimed. Your sins can be taken care of. So notice the first part of this trade. We give Jesus our sin. You have to understand when you read the Bible that it portrays Christ as being sinless. He who never sinned became sin for us. Verses like 1 Peter chapter 2, Jesus committed no sin, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Or Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, although Jesus, when he was a man, is tempted in all the same areas that we are tempted, he never sinned. Or in 1 John chapter 3, but you know that Jesus appeared to take away sin, and yet in him was no sin whatsoever. No outward act of betrayal, no inward thought of desire that went against the law of God. Jesus never had to regret a sinful past, never retract a wrong word, no remorse over the slightest failure, no tears shed over vicious words that broke a relationship. Jesus never sinned. You go back to that first Good Friday and there are many testimonies that declare it to be true. Pilate's wife said to Pilate, Have nothing to do with this righteous man. And after examination, Pilate washed his hands in a water basin and declared, I find no fault in him. It was said by the thief on the cross, This man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. We hang for our crimes, but he is innocent. And the Roman centurion, taking in all that took place on Good Friday, declared, surely this man was righteous. Jesus without sin. Never, ever once crossing the law of God. None of us can say that. But it has to be so because he becomes our sin offering. Do you know what an offering is for sin? If you've ever read your Bible, you'll know that in the Old Testament they offered animals. And the animals had to be set aside for a period of time to make sure that they were without blemish and without spot. In other words, you couldn't uh, offer one of the injured animals from your flock as a sin offering and get by with it. You had to offer the best you had. And so you would offer that animal as a sacrifice and the atonement The death of that animal would cover your sins only for a year. And then you had to do it over again. That's the picture that we have of Christ dying on the cross. He became a sin offering. He was viewed throughout his life like a lamb being watched to make sure that the lamb was perfect. Christ was perfect. And he offered up himself as a sacrifice for our sin, so that we could go free. The Father places on His Son the corruption of every one of us, and Jesus dies in our place. Verses like Isaiah 53, verse 6 All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own sinful way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. If you say to yourself, I can sin and get by with it. God has never punished me for my sin. He punished Jesus for your sin. And that's what Good Friday is all about. 1 Peter chapter 2, Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And the book of Galatians in the New Testament says, Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. And so God takes the sin of the world and somehow in finite time plays... uh, places an infinite penalty upon the perfect Son of God. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. He sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And that's what Good Friday is all about. Now, some people don't get into Good Friday like you and I might get into Good Friday. Some people think it's a horrible thing. There once was a well-known professor at Oxford. His name was Alfred Eyer. And he once stated that among all the religions of historical importance, a strong case can be made for considering Christianity to be the worst of them all. Why? Because it rests on the allied doctrines of original sin and vicarious atonement, which are intellectually contemptible and morally outrageous. Do you know what our society is saying today? Among all the religions that exist, Christianity is probably the worst. Because it tells me I'm a sinner, born one. And it tells me God died for my sin on the cross and I don't like that. That is intellectually contemptible and morally outrageous. But I say to you, my friend, if that is not true, there is no gospel and there is no good news. The heart of the whole Bible, the essence of the good news of Christ, the soul of salvation is this doctrine we call vicarious Atonement, vicarious means substitute. Take away this and we have nothing left in all the Bible that could be considered good news. You know what a substitute is, don't you? You go out to eat and you don't want to put sugar in your coffee. So you get a sugar substitute. You take the little pink thing, which is deplorable. Sweet and low. Or you say, I'm going to take the yellow thing called Splenda, which is probably worse. And then there's a blue thing called Equal, which is equal to I don't know what. And all of them will kill you. Probably the best thing for you is good old sugar. But you use a substitute, thinking that I'm far ahead. You and I substitute... For our sin problem, our good works, and say maybe that will work. Or I'll put money in the offering plate, which is not a bad idea, but you think that somehow that will gain you merit with God, and that won't work. In fact, nothing that you and I can do as people born in sin and under the penalty of a holy God, nothing we can do to help our sin problem, but God does it. And Jesus becomes our substitute. He takes on the cross the penalty for our sin and pays a ransom for us that pleases the righteousness of God. The second part of the trade is this. We give Jesus our sin and what does he give to us? His righteousness. Wow, that's a lopsided trade. Who gets the better end of that deal? We get the righteousness of God. That's what the verse says. Jesus became a sin offering for us so that, purpose statement, we could be made right with God. Right with God. No better words were ever spoken. Our guilt goes to Christ. His goodness and righteousness come to us. We are devoid of righteousness. He is devoid of sin. And there's a switch. At the cross, the sinless one becomes a sinner and the sinners are made sinless and forgiven. That's why I'm so excited about Good Friday. That's why I'm excited that you're here. You may not be, but I am. You got out of work, so that's good. You just listen to a few songs and a short, boring sermon and you're done. But what's exciting about this day, what makes Good Friday good is not the gruesome crucifixion and pain of the cross. It's what he achieves and what comes to every soul that believes. His death washes away our sin. His death for us is personal. He died with us in mind. And it is effective. It takes away the sin of every believer. Now notice that this comes through Christ. No other way to be made right with God but through Christ. There is no other religion that can make you right with God save Christ. It's another reason why Christianity is hated when we say it's the only way. But that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. What's a good message I proclaim? It's the message of God's love. For that's how the verse starts out. God has made Christ, who never sinned, to be our sin offering. For God so loved the world, remember that verse? That he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have life that never ends. Salvation is kind of like a clothing. When we believe on Christ, he takes away our old garments of sin and puts on us a new garment of righteousness. Isaiah 61.10, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and he has arrayed me in a robe of his own righteousness like a bride adorns herself with jewels. And I am forgiven and made right with God. You say, Don, aren't you still a sinner? Yes, I sin. But I'm a sinner forgiven. This is God's plan. And it's offered to every person who is willing by faith to receive Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. There was a man who was fighting for the British Army during the Revolutionary War, a strong Christian. He's actually uh, the one who was working with Benedict Arnold to try to defeat the colonists. But he was found out and tried as a traitor and executed to be hung. John Andre indeed was hung. But the night before he lost his life, he wrote these words expressing his Christian faith, his personal testimony. Hail sovereign love which first began the scheme to rescue fallen man. Hail sovereign free eternal grace which gave my soul a hiding place. Against the God who ruled on high I fought Against the God who ruled the skies, I fought with hand uplifted high. I despised the mention of his grace, too proud to take a hiding place. Enwrapped in thick Egyptian night and fond of darkness more than light, madly I ran the sinful race, secure without a hiding place. But thus the eternal counsel ran, almighty love, arrest that man. I felt the arrows of distress and found I had no hiding place. Indignant justice stood in view. To Sinai's fiery mount I flew. But justice cried with frowning face, This mountain is no hiding place. Ere long a heavenly voice I heard and mercy's angel soon appeared. He led me on with gentle pace to trust Jesus. As my hiding place. On him, almighty vengeance fell, which must have sunk a world to hell. He bore it for a sinful race, and thus became their hiding place. He wrote this the night before he died. A few more rolling suns at most shall land me safe on Canaan's coast, where I shall sing the song of grace. And see Jesus, who is my glorious hiding place. Let's pray. Lord, we think of Good Friday as a gruesome thing because of the sufferings of Christ and the cross. But when we see it was intentional, when we see that Jesus voluntarily died out of love for humanity to pay the price for our sin, how great is this day. And how great is the salvation he provides. I pray some souls today will cry out, Lord Jesus, become my hiding place from the just wrath of God. And give me life that never ends. In your name we pray. Amen.